0: I'm Erin. I'm Sarah. I'm Megan. And this is the Tribbles and Transporters podcast. my brain because i know i said if you want to throw me a bone give me one from the new movies (laughs) and that is definitely from one of the new movies and i'm trying to remember which one
1: well good i'm glad that you don't know which one it is
0: (laughs) uh i can basically hear the rest of the track playing in my head which to me makes me think that it's probably from Beyond, because yeah, that would be the I would one guess I've the same heard thing. Heard most if recently,
2: was, if it was from one of the new movies, because Beyond is the only one I don't have the soundtrack for. Yeah, so I don't, I didn't recognize it coming from the other two, but it very well may. But yeah, maybe, maybe from Beyond. That would be my guess too. Yeah, no idea when in the movie. I've only I, seen that movie thinking... once, so.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking it's actually from a piece of music called Night on the Yorktown, um, because I actually use that as my alarm clock. <laughs> and it's so familiar that I'm like, I-, I think it's actually part of that piece.
1: Wow. I, <laughs> you know what? I, I was trying to be sly on this and, and pick like one of the more obscure tracks from that. Soundtrack, but you use it for your alarm clock, so that didn't work I do.
0: out. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. I actually got really specific this time.
1: <laughs> yeah. I knew you were gonna get this though because you said you listened to all of the, the new music recently, so
0: Well, you you were being kind to me this time.
1: Yeah, I figured I would after the last you know, Romulan <laughs> random Romulan music. I would That was know, random Romulan music. Yeah. Well, speaking of Romulans, we're going to talk a lot about them today, I'm sure. Yes, with, uh, for sure. Uh, before we go any further, though, I just wanted to let all of our listeners know, if you hear a weird um, engine-type sound outside my window, that's because there's a helicopter flying around, and I actually live right across the street from where Kobe Bryant crashed his helicopter, mm-hmm. and so they're still cleaning up the um, crash site, and they're using a helicopter to do it. And unfortunately, it started. It started up like right when we were sitting down to record. <laughs> <I had> no <laughs> idea that that was going to happen. So, um, if you hear that, I apologize. Hopefully, it won't be too much of a distraction in the background. But there's not anything I can do about it. So, but we are going to be talking about episode two of Picard: Maps and Legends today. Before we get into the discussion, though. Um, Aaron has some feedback <laughs> on social media and I think some of it has to do with Picard. So we wanted to get into that first before we started talking about it.
0: Yes, it definitely does. And um, we did have uh, some more messages from uh, Michael, who has been very good about helping us, helping explain some of the things to us. And uh, he was talking about um, the, the, where we talked about uh, Laris and Zabon being very um, almost humanized and how they look different and sound different and things like that. And first of all, we want to apologize for sounding really brutal on that. (laughs) Um, I think that I had just expected the alien species to kind of be treated the same way they were in a lot of the... um, the previous star Trek series where, you know, you encounter just one variation or they, they have a very specific stylized look and you don't get much, you know, differentiation. Um, and I I guess we, we kind of went off on that and sounded very harsh about it. So, uh, from now on, we're going to be taking a much more, um, relaxed approach i guess on that sort of thing so um <laughs> yeah so michael was saying that uh, there's an explanation for the different physical appearances of picard's two romulan friends that we learned in episode three uh basically i think the show is saying that just as humans vary in appearance and have racial characteristics so do alien species which makes an incredible amount of sense Um, and we do see it in more than just the Romulans, which, um, the, the more that I've seen it in the, in the series, um, it's stood out to me as a very, um, a, a much more normal approach to the way civilizations develop and, um, seems a lot more varied and adds a lot of texture to the different um, species, which I'm, I'm really enjoying it now that I know it's coming. Um, so Michael also says that uh, he thinks that Laris and Zabon have been living on Earth for a while now, so they've become naturalized, and that's reflected in their hairstyles, dress, etc., so then he also says that Laris's accent is Irish, which is the nationality of the act- actress Orla Brady. Uh, act- accents have always varied in Star Trek Aliens. And just a gentle reminder that American is also an accent. Uh, as a Brit, I don't hear English as an accent apart from some regional ones, but of course it is. So uh, that's why I say uh, we sounded a bit harsh and, um, you know, I, as a, a Canadian, should uh, have uh, been a little bit more understanding on the, the differences of accents because, uh, you know, I've had a lot of people point out to me how I sound different from, from Americans and things like that. So, yeah, we are going to be taking a much more, um, I keep wanting to say gentle approach, um, but we will not uh, harp on those differences going forward.
1: I'll try my best. (laughs) I just, I just my personality. I just um, tend to be slightly more critical, I think than a lot of people. And I am aware of that. So I'll, I'll try not to, I'll try to bite my tongue as much
2: as possible (laughs) with, uh, with these
1: reviews. So, Uh, but at the same time, I want to be, you know, honest as well about my personal reaction to it. And you can disagree with me. That's fine. I don't care. So, but I will, uh, yeah, I will try to temper my reactions to things. So <laughs> and we don't really know what, what Megan's reaction is yet. We've kind of talked to her a little bit about Picard. I think j- in general, she likes it. So I do. Um, I really yeah. do. So I guess with the uh, social media stuff, thanks for writing in, Michael. You have valid points. And um, we'll be talking about them a little bit more in our discussion. But now it's time for our What Did You Think segment
0: what do you think what do you think what do
1: you think all right guys so what did you guys
2: think about episode two of Picard I liked this episode um more in that it shows you um opening with what happened at Utopia Planitia um so it answers some questions but good grief does it open up 500 more questions (laughs) um that you just by the end of it you're gonna go i want to watch the next one <laughs> so i i enjoyed it um for the most part there's some things that it, we'll talk about um into the discussion that i was a little disappointed in
0: um but i'll save that for farther into the episode what about you erin uh i also really enjoyed it um i i'm adjusting i think to this uh more serialized um storytelling manner um and just getting used to the fact that we're going to have questions raised and they're not going to be answered right away. Um, and I'm, I'm liking that style. Uh, I also really enjoyed some of the interactions we get um, and the way that they sort of meted out some of the information. So, yeah, I also had a couple of things come up that I thought, oh, that's kind of interesting. Um but for the most part, um, I definitely enjoyed the way the story unfolded.
1: Um, I'll say that I liked it a little bit better than episode one. I mean, there are things I like about it and things I don't, and we'll talk about it. Yeah, for me, it's just uh, getting used to it, I think. Hopefully by episode 10, I'll i I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting because I um, realized over this past week kind of that... People watch Star Trek. Well, we, we know this from our quizzes that we do, that we watch Star Trek very differently and we mm-hmm. notice different things. And it's really interesting. Um, I'm not super active on social media, but I have seen a lot of comments about this show on social media. And it's interesting that a lot of people just love it and a lot of people have issues with it. And it's just that kind of divide that you have I think is the same way, I'm sure Star Wars and a lot of franchises are the same way, and I think it's just because people just see different things when they watch the same mm. thing
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it's it's just a per- it's a personality thing first of all, and it's also just how your brain is kind of wired to interpret things and i was I saw a comment where <laughs> two people commented on the exact same thing and I think they were talking about the character of Laris and one person was just praising her and how awesome she was and they loved the irish accent you know and all of this stuff and the other person was like how can you like the, you know all of this stuff she's got an irish accent you know it's just it was just the complete opposite uh, comment but they were so they were watching the same thing but getting out of it two completely different things and i just thought yeah you know what that's true um, not everybody sees the same thing when they watch Star Trek. And not everybody watches Star Trek for the same reasons. And I think I realized one of the reasons that I brought up the stuff that I did was because when what attracted me to Star Trek was the aesthetics of it. So I really fell in love with the futuristic look and feel of everything. And everything from the pads to... You know, the consoles on the wall to the furniture to the costumes, just to the whole like atmosphere and environment of Star Trek and that um, Federation, like the Starfleet and the ranks, and you know, being that upstanding officer and aspiring to that. And also the characters. Like, I really enjoyed watching the characters and them interact and stuff like that. The story and the whole like Gene Roddenberry's vision of the future was secondary it was way in the background for me and that's evident from how i get lost you know like when we talked about the caretaker <laughs> and i was like i have no idea who the akamba and you know the kazon yeah. are yeah. i don't know what's going on that's because i wasn't paying attention to that um, when i was watching the episode i was i was looking at other things and so some of that information just did not make it into my brain and so I think that that, that is what is causing a lot of the conflict, you know, when people are watching this show or any show really is that some people are just getting, they're seeing it differently.
2: Oh, completely. I mean, just based on what you said, I'm complete opposite of you. I'm watching it to get swept along in the story. Yeah. um, And to, you know, be able to sit down with my bucket of popcorn and watch this and be entertained. And, to not have to think that I can just sit and watch this, um, which is weird to, to be a part of this podcast, that I have to watch the episode a second time so that I can focus in on more of the details and why something was this way versus this way and um, so that to discuss the, the episode. Otherwise, I'm just going to talk about the story the whole time. <laughs> um, yeah,
1: so, so that's really
2: interesting because
1: we're going to have very different reactions. I know we have different reactions to Picard based on what I've heard you talk about because you're focusing more on that and I'm focusing on other things. And so I think, yeah, it's just, it's just really, really interesting. And, uh, and Aaron, I think is more, I don't know. What do you focus on when you watch Star Trek, Aaron?
0: Um, I'm kind of a mixture of the two. Uh, so I... I'm very detail oriented. So I pick up on a lot of the details in the story, but also details in the backgrounds and in the characters and, and things like that. So, um, it is a lot, the story, but it's also the, just wanting to be swept up in that, um, that time period and the vision of the future. So, uh, it's going to be a neat having the three of us on here, um, and and talking about the the different viewpoints that we have, whereas I think when I watch these episodes of Picard, I might be picking up a lot of the details right away. And then there are a lot of times that uh, you know Sarah and I will sit down to talk about this, and she brings up something that I totally didn't even focus on because I didn't look into the background of the the filming or something like that. Um, so it's nice to have the different viewpoints.
2: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I guess
1: we started at the beginning with the um, the Mars attack, that epi- that uh, scene. Mm. Uh, what did you guys think about that?
0: There were definitely some details in there that made it feel very not Star Trek to me. But then, um, you know, the storyline and then it being said at Utopia Planesia and, and thinking about it that way did... Um, you know, bring me there, and they obviously the situation that arises with the um, synthetic uh, worker turning on the uh, the organic workers is quite intense. But I I had a little bit of nitpicking with uh, just some of the you know some of the setup and the and the background and things. Um, one that stood out to me was the replicator. And, uh, I don't know if you guys picked up on, on that, but, um, you know, they, they well, showed it, it... looks
1: like a microwave.
0: Well, yeah. And it's basically yeah. like a, a 3d printer, which, you know, is obviously a much more realistic way of thinking about a replicator, but they almost talk about it. Like it's something that, um, it, it makes these pre-programmed meals and they're like, um, you know, basically space rations
2: mm-hmm. and
0: you know things like that where as opposed to you can just order normal food um so that to me was was kind of weird like they've taken a step backward in replicator technology
1: yeah i didn't really understand that um i, I had a i had the vibe that it wasn't the sort of replicator that we we're used to seeing yeah um, it really acted. I mean, it, it like had a ding at the end of it, like a microwave <laughs> does. And they opened the door and like pulled yeah. it out. And so I was like, okay, this is not. Is this not an actual replicator, or they can't
2: be like retconning this, to or is yeah. the the bottom of the line, you know, very base model yeah. type thing that if if it's you know they're in this rush to build all these starships to rescue the Romulans that maybe it's just something that they, to put, throw together a a base of operations here. We're just going to put this in here and they have a set menu that they Mm. can pick from.
0: Yeah. It reminds me more of the original series, you know, when they would go into the cafeteria and, and things like that. So maybe it is uh, saying that it's just a, this is an old part of the facility and it has old food dispensers or something like that. So, yeah, it was just little things like that. Um, but I definitely picked up on what I th- I think they wanted us to, which was the fact that uh, it really doesn't seem like this was a synthetic um, revolt or like a, a virus got put into the synthetic brains or something like that. To me, it seemed like that one particular synthetic worker got hacked or something.
2: Yeah, for sure. I was more, um, like right before that happening, I was more surprised by um, how everyone was treating that synthetic worker. Um, more because I'm like, well, you're used to having AI all the time. Like, it's not like that that's yeah. a new technology at this point. Um, you're used to interacting with a computer that can talk to you and does its own thinking. Um, and But why are you treating that in a human, quote-unquote, human form, weirdly. Yeah,
1: I the whole line where that guy says, good morning, plastic people, and then they're basically making fun of the guy. Like, I mean, we're just not used to seeing that sort of ribbing in Star Trek. Although, you know what? Katherine Pulaski did not treat Data very well. No, and that's when true. When she first came on board. It. That's true. So we did see a little bit of that in TNG, but this was like really blatant like i wouldn't expect people in, at working at utopia planitia with starfleet i mean i know these aren't starfleet officers but contracted with starfleet yeah to be saying stuff like that it was it's, it was odd to me
0: yeah agreed i've noticed throughout that um they're they're making people seem a lot more similar to how we are now um So just the, there's different things where, you know, we, we see people reacting differently to items or they, um, they worry about the future or they have, uh, difficulties at home where in the previous versions of Star Trek, yes, I mean, everybody faced challenges and you might've had a difficult background growing up on a colony or something like that, but, uh, you know, that people didn't have vices and, you know, they they seemed a lot more polished and uh, more hopeful, whereas uh, a lot of the characters we see in Picard are a little bit grittier, um, which, you know, is just a different direction to take it.
1: Yeah, um, Michael Chabon did a thing on Instagram this past week where he addressed a lot of these criticisms that mm. people were having online. And, uh, The gist of it basically was that he felt Gene Roddenberry's vision of the future where everybody's kind of perfected in a sense um, isn't realistic. And so he's kind of revamping um, the Star Trek universe to be more, in in his eyes anyway, um, realistic of what he thinks the future of humanity will be and some of this also is is political i mean obviously patrick stewart has been very vocal that the show is going to express political issues or whatever um and we're not going to get into politics on this show but um or on this podcast but you know you it's obvious you know when they're trying to make a political point in this show so Mm. um i think some of these, you know, lines that we're discussing and so forth that seem out of place to us is because they're they're trying to express some political stuff here, and also, you know, Michael Shabon says, you know, what his future of humanity is not going to be all the roses and petals like Gene Roddenberry envisioned, mm. and so he's kind of rewriting it. Um, now, you can agree with that or disagree with it. I kind of am on the fence. I kind of like sort of Gene Roddenberry's vision because it gave us something to aspire to you yeah. know um, and I think that's a huge thing why a lot of people like watch Star Trek is because of that hopeful vision of the future and all of that um, but on the same token Aaron you and I have talked before about how you know this utopian vision of the future is probably not all that realistic
0: <laughs> yeah. either
1: and so I understand right. where Siobhan's coming from you know, and, and, you know, Deep Space Nine sort of started to, t- to take the turn towards that of, you know, it's not going to oh, be totally. this perfect vision of the future. But even Deep Space Nine didn't quite go as far as this show is. Um, it still kind of kept that whole, like, hopeful Federation intact, whereas this show is saying, nope, Federation is, you know, extremely flawed. Some people like that, some people don't. So, well, I think yeah.
2: too that it's it's more of like in talking about Deep Space Nine, that this is I can sort of see why the show went this route because they're sort of tracking with the history um, that's already been presented in Star Trek. Like this is post Dominion War time, and so during uh, during the Dominion War, I mean Starfleet and the Federation almost lost; they yeah. were almost taken over um, by the Dominion. Um, and several worlds of Federation worlds were. Um, so I can see why that they've sort of had their eyes open to, hey, while we won this, it cost a lot of people, ships, and it cost a lot of the idealism as well. That you know, it's just like, okay, let's more keep it real that there are things out there that can destroy a way of
0: life. That we'd been mm-hmm. presented before, yeah. No, that's a really cool way of looking at it. I hadn't thought about it in uh, in terms of what we've seen in the history of Star Trek that may have uh, um, made it turn that way. So,
2: yeah, that's really cool. But I will say, like, I'm interested to see like uh, who did hack into these uh, androids to make that happen to destroy to kill everyone there to destroy the ships that were being built and then to destroy the evidence for lack of better words mm-hmm. um so i'm hopefully that unfolds um hopefully this season
1: that these androids i can't stand the name sense like that why why they're not calling them androids i don't know yeah. Why that may I mean Android is the term that Star Trek has always used pretty much. And so this sense thing came out of left field to me. I'm not sure why they're calling them that, but anyway, that's what they're calling them. So the sense. Um do you do you think that they look like the um do you guys know that c- the Matt commercial from nineteen eighty four where they have like all of the people marching? They're bald guys that look exactly like these guys. Huh. It's no, an Apple commercial from 1984 when they revealed the very first Mac. They look exactly like these scents. <laughs> that's all I see when I see this is I it just my, my brain goes back to that commercial.
0: Yeah. You have to look yeah. it up. You have to look yeah, it up. Yeah, for sure.
2: Yeah, I vaguely remember that commercial.
1: Yeah. yeah. I used to work for Apple, so that's why um, <laughs> I'm aware of that.
0: my mind always goes back to um, in one of the newer uh, movies we get this character that um, is a synthetic uh, working on the bridge on the enterprise and uh, in um, one of the comic books that kind of goes along with those movies uh, they explain it it was they encounter i forget what exactly it was but they encountered something that Basically, the Enterprise built this um, semi-Android, semi-organic being as sort of an avatar for itself. And basically, he's directly connected to the ship and is almost like a a walking-talking interface for the ship itself. And again, it's, it's a bald guy with some you know, funky looking eyes and stuff like that. So it's, it's re- reminiscent to me.
1: Let me ask you guys something. I don't know how you feel about this. How do you, <laughs> how do you guys like this? Um, The language that these characters, these people are using, like, Hey dude, like yo dude and
2: all of this stuff. Uh, I think it. there's totally just to pull in today's audience. I mean, to get open the show up to today um, to pull in people from today i I think that's totally what that is
1: yeah but we didn't hear that going on back in the we didn't hear like that sort of cool language ever before in star trek i was just it kind of i I will i'm gonna say it, it bugs the crap out of me but because i i always liked the more uh formal language of star trek because it like star trek was always a really classy show to me and this just kind of like brings it down a notch for me it, it just totally is very distracting so i didn't know how you guys felt about it but i just i this like nails on a chalkboard for me listening to that
0: <laughs> yeah i did nail it down to the the sort of language used but to me um i will say i prefer the more um, stylized kind of hopeful future vision of the original star trek series um and I think, you know, if if I were to write, you know, stories or things like that, I would set it in that sort of uh, vein. I do enjoy the way that this is going, but to me, I, I've just kind of set it apart as this This is a different vision. So it's like a different angle on this, uh, this future and this set of characters and things like that. Um, so I guess I've, separated it uh, to the point where I'm just going to enjoy it for what it is. Um, and uh, the the rest of my, my memories of Star Trek and, and my thoughts about it in general lie more with um, the already completed series and things like that.
2: Yeah, I would say I've, I've noticed it. Um, I especially did in that scene with the workers talking with the synthetic life forms. Uh, but it wasn't enough for it to bother me at all is this more okay. like oh okay we're still talking like
1: that all right to me it just takes you out of the 25th century or whatever this is hmm. um and i star trek always avoided that sort of language in the past and it always worked really really well because it it kept it sort of timeless in that way um the I will say the overall thing that, and this is just because of this is how I watch Star Trek is just all of this 21st century stuff that they're bringing into the show, whether it's the language or the wardrobe, which I definitely still don't understand. Um, all of this 21st century stuff that they're just throwing into the show is just really like distracting me big time with this. And if they would just like fix, like don't don't write yo dude into the Dialogue, and um, don't have Picard walking around looking like he's um, you know Ernest Hemingway, which I know he does in episode four. You know, just just little things like that that just seem out of place to me in Star Trek, and it's taking me. I mean, it just takes me right out of the uh, episode. But again, that's just how I'm watching it and how I'm interpreting it. Um, obviously, Megan, you're not as bothered by it, and a lot of no, people aren't. Yeah. I'm not. But a lot of people are like me, too, where they're just like, I don't know. I have a question for you guys, though. This, right. This uh, sense that he killed himself at the end of the scene.
0: Mm-hmm. Why? Um, I think it's probably what Megan said, like, to destroy the evidence of the tampering. But didn't he blow up when the thing blew up? I he was know. on the satellite
1: that blew up. Well, no, he's yes. on the
0: planet, isn't he?
1: Yeah,
2: he's in the facility on the planet.
1: Oh, I thought he was. Well, they kept showing the satellite thing. Like, they were on that.
0: No, I think that was... I wasn't was... paying that close attention. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was showing, like, that's maybe, like, a, a control for the all of the synthetics. And so that's where the, um, the signal for whatever was um, directing this particular unit to do what it did was coming from. And then that was, you know, again destroyed, if I'm remembering correctly. So, you know, it's just covering up all the evidence of the the tampering itself was my uh, gist of it.
1: Okay. Um, they just cut, I don't, maybe I was confused by the editing. It just, they, the way they were cutting it together, it made it look like um, they blew up at the end of mm. the scene. So I didn't understand why he was killing himself before that happened. So I have
0: one thing that I've always thought about with androids and things like that. We always have this idea of the the brain has to be in the head. And yet the head is one of the more vulnerable parts like that. You know, I mean this this synthetic shoots itself in the head. Obviously to destroy itself. You know, why wouldn't you put the you know the most intricate and delicate control circuits and things buried deep within the chest and then you know surround it with all this shielding and things like that and it's not just in this uh in this series i've seen it in other things where you have robots or androids and things like that and they all have these you know delicately controlled brains and stuff why does it have to be in the head
1: well maybe it's not maybe <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think they were just going for the, I'm going to kill myself. And most people do that by shooting themselves in the head. I don't think they right. were
2: think really thinking that deeply about it. Well, I mean, they were made to look human. So, I
0: mean. Yeah. I've seen it in other series and things like that where, you know, they put all these controls and the, you know, the memory circuits and all that sort of things are in, in the head. And yeah, it's just mm-hmm. something I've always wondered. <laughs>
1: Well, Data kind of did that too. I think it's just yeah. because it's more fun to show that on mm. screen is the head, like opening up the head and stuff, you know? <laughs> There's just something a little bit more um, macabre about that than opening up the chest or something like that. Mm. It's easier to film probably too. Yeah. Um, yeah, but for this scene, I think they they were just, they wanted the whole effect of him shooting, just shooting himself in the head. I, who knows if that's where his circuitry is or i mean or whatever he was trying to kill off so um picard and laris go on a csi uh hunt <laughs> in this episode <laughs> the next like what did you guys to think about that i've never seen um a show edited like that before where they're cutting between like three different settings while telling the same story
2: have you guys seen that before not in star trek um that I can recall. Well, just anywhere
1: on TV. Have you seen that?
2: Yes. Okay. Yeah, they, they do that in a lot of today's drama shows. Yeah, see, um, I don't watch it, so I don't know. Yeah. Um, I do think it was more interesting that in all of that was um, the Tal Shiar, who we know to be the really bad part of the Romulan Empire, the, the secret police that um, are the... Uh, the bad of the bad. And then they sort of brushes that off. Like, no, 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 here's worse. <laughs> Here we have the John who no one has ever heard of was being hmm. this ultra secret, 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 secret controlling force that it sounds like of the Romulan empire. Mm-hmm. And why synthetic life and AI is so dangerous to them. I want that explained. Like why? why they would go to all of these links to, to not have that.
1: I'm going to be honest, guys. I tuned most of this out. I was so bored watching. I had no idea what was going on in this scene. Now, now, this is not a criticism of Card necessarily. This is just all of Star Trek, and Aaron knows this. Um, when we start watching a scene, and it's just like a bunch of babble about tech stuff, <laughs> and all of this, my, my brain just zones out automatically. And I come back like five minutes later, and they're still going on. And then I come back five minutes later, <laughs> and they're why still you don't going understand on. Understand
2: the story later. <laughs>
1: no, I know. Like, okay, I got out of this. The only thing I got out of this scene was the jadbash. Okay, that's a thing. And um, Soji is on, an, on another planet. That's all I got. <laughs> I have no idea about anything else going on in this scene. So yeah. it seriously went on for like ten minutes.
0: Yeah, and they did. They did give a lot of information and things in there. Um, there was also just some interesting background as far as who and what the Jotvash are, but it was all so vague that you know obviously you need to re- watch the rest of the season to figure things out. Um, right. So uh, I thought it was it was a very interesting scene, and I I like the fact that we're now seeing. That Laris and Zavon are—they're not just ordinary Romulans hanging out with Picard. These these two are, um, you know, their former agents of of po- possibly Tal Shiar. I think was the implication, mm-hmm. um, at least for sure for Laris. Yeah, and uh, a lot of the the technology and stuff they were using, I, I thought was interesting as sarah put it the csi moments um they they kind of explained it by with the whole thing of oh you know those those forensic methods are um they're banned in the federation and you know i mean they're not all that effective anyway and and she says oh well that's that's what we wanted you to think. um but that seems like crazy powerful to me i mean she literally resurrects an image of what happened in the past like that seemed a bit over the top
2: (laughs) well i will say in the fantastical of what's being proposed in star trek picard is also that we can recreate data's memories from one single positronic neuron so that was also brought up in the first episode and in the recap of this one of why Potentially, why Dodge is was so connected to Picard. Um, so for me, that's like, what are you kidding? I, mean, I think the science is a little sketchy in this
1: show. <laughs> 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 I mean, yeah, there's some really very strange things going on that just don't seem plausible. But you know, whatever. Yeah.
0: But I I did think it was interesting. Um, some of the the talk with the computer about how you know they had gone through and obviously. They didn't wipe the information from the computer because that would look suspicious. So basically, what they did was they just made it so that you can't find anything in there without going through every piece of information one by one. Um, because it's all, all of the organization of it has been taken away. Um, mm. But then, because they know that Daj and Soji would be twins and they're, you know, assuming they would be identical. Um, and then they go into this whole thing about the computer recognition of how it would look at you and listen to you and go, oh yes, I I know who that is. Um and it got confused between Daj and Soji and and that would be something that the um the Romulan agents who went there to kill Daj would not have thought to get rid of those um, particular pieces of information in the computer. So I, I thought that was an interesting way for them to say, "Oh yes, you know, we can we can figure that out and and find out some information."
1: My mind was off on another planet at this point. <laughs> I didn't hear any of that in this. Um, yeah, I'm really impressed that you're sitting there actually absorbing. <laughs> All of that because I can't, <laughs> I just cannot do it. I can't sit there and listen to all of that.
0: Yeah. One of the things that did come out of that scene, um, because I had had the question of did Daj and Soji know that each other existed? And obviously they did because they were talking to each other. So, um, we got that answer in this episode.
1: When did they talk to each other? Well, they that, that's but what
0: it's seen. It just implied that. So basically, um, Laris was going through the logs of Dodge's communications and looking for times that the computer thought Dodge was calling into her own computer. So therefore, Soji was actually calling. So she was looking for communications between the two of them. See, this is how this is going to go,
1: where you guys are going to have to explain the plot. <laughs> <with> the episode <laughs> to me... <laughs> during the recordings because yeah i have also another question this is like a world building thing with star trek but how are how are picard and um laris just like beaming into apartments can you do that can um, you just beam anywhere you want to <laughs> yeah
0: there there are a few things in this episode like that um because we do later we see almost these like transporter arches where you just you know they beam into the square and people are using I it I had like that
2: a... on my list to bring up <laughs> <laughs> as those transportation like subway tube arches yeah those are pretty cool though I that's one thing I did like I like that they are really yeah. cool but how yeah. do you know where you're going because <laughs> you don't say anything <laughs> you're literally just walk right in them and you can be walking I noticed this they're almost walking into people coming out
0: yeah. Like Wait, did they it's...
1: beam up through them? I thought there was just people beaming down to the headquarters. No, oh, no. People
0: were walking into it and beaming away.
1: Oh, okay. Well, I didn't catch that.
0: Unless maybe there's like a central hub or something. And so those arches only go to and from that position and the central hub. And therefore, you know, you can choose your location that you want to go to from the hub.
1: Maybe it's programmed into their communicators,
0: yeah. but not everyone had a communicator. Oh, and,
2: <laughs>
1: I'm not com- noticing these things. Yeah.
2: Sorry.
0: <laughs> the communicators were also something that I wanted to bring up because, first of all, you know, we see a couple of different scenes where these PA announcements are going on. And, you know, we saw it on yeah, the Utopia Planitia. Why? Exactly. Like, why wouldn't you just call someone directly on their communicator? Um, yeah,
1: that seems really unnecessary.
0: Yeah. And I think that was just scene setting. Like, it was just trying well, of course, to...
1: But, I mean, yeah, there's no need for it. Yeah. yeah.
0: And then later we see Picard put on an old communicator and tap it and then... You know, immediately start talking to Rafi. Um, yeah, that so
2: was so. I'm like,
0: weird. does that just like, does he have this old communicator that it only talks to her? <laughs> well, he's leaving so, a voicemail to for her is what he's doing. It, but he says, Rafi, don't don't hang up. You know, and so basically, yeah. But we don't
1: have any indication on the other end that she was actually listening. So it's it was odd the way that they did that. Because I yeah. wasn't sure if she was actually listening at that second or if he was just, like, leaving
0: a message for her.
2: I was yeah, more I surprised think... that he even had a communicator in the first place since he's no longer in Starfleet.
0: Yeah, I think it was almost like a an old heirloom or something that he was just holding on to. But, um, yeah, I was I getting the... I would expect the... that
1: he, he would be able to take his communicator and his pips with him, maybe. I don't know. Maybe yeah. they confiscate the communicators when you leave.
0: Yeah, to me, it was almost um, more like the way a walkie-talkie works. And so that, that's kind of how, that was my impression of what Picard was doing, was basically just talking into the communicator, and it was he was assuming it was coming out on her end, and she would hear him.
1: Before, they would always have to say the name of the person or something like that. Um, yeah. So, that, yeah, it's, it, now, if it was a new communicator then i would maybe say okay well maybe they changed the way they work or whatever but no this is his communicator from the movies essentially yeah so it, yeah it did not work at all like it used to <laughs> that was very <laughs> that was very strange for sure mm. and of course in that scene with the admiral too uh which megan has an audio clip to play from that but um we have the escalator the return of the escalator um that one was <laughs> from the Anaheim Convention Center Okay. Much to do was made about that online, about how they're using the Anaheim Convention Center to uh, as Starfleet headquarters. I think because a lot of Star Trek fans, that's where they have the big Star Trek convention here. Okay. And so a lot of Star Trek fans have been there before, and they're like, okay, yeah, no, we, we know exactly where that is, you know, and all of that <laughs> stuff. I've never been there before, but um, that was like a big deal that people made online.
2: Yeah, I did notice in that scene of when Picard's checking in for his appointment and then gets a visitor badge that the word visitor is in the Star Trek font (laughs) that was created for a next generation. (laughs) I was like, okay, I see what you did there. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, if you'd like watch him
1: going down the escalator, if you look up at the ceiling, they have the speakers just like we have today. Um, so it felt very uh, contemporary you know, with mm. escalator and the speakers and the uh, ceiling and everything. Um, yeah. It it's was, a historic uh, it was building. I guess so. They've, they've <laughs> res- preserved it over the centuries. Uh, they okay. decided not to update any technology at all. inside. Of
2: it, so. <laughs> okay. Speaking of that scene, I do want to talk a little bit about before we go into the clip that I have of when, um, Jean-Luc Picard is meeting with Admiral Clancy, who is the commander in chief of, of Starfleet that I don't, I more want to get your take a little bit on her. Um, in this meeting, I thought um, she was almost incredibly unprofessional. Um, I was a little disappointed that here, the knowing that she's angry at what Picard said on this broadcast through the Federation, um, but still to be that unprofessional, um, in her interactions with him, I was very disappointed that here, she's the commander in chief, the head of Starfleet reacting that way. I mean, what was y'all's take on their interaction? Not, not so much like what was said. Cause I do want to play a clip, but like their interaction, what was your take on her?
0: Personally, I, I felt that she made it very, very personal, um, so it, it felt like there was some sort of vendetta between her specifically and Picard, rather than it being about, you know, he betrayed Starfleet or made them look bad or whatever.
1: I um agree with you, Megan, a little bit that she did act unprofessionally. Yeah, there's definitely was, there's a history between those two characters that we're not privy to. Um, something's gone down between yeah. them. Uh, More than just, I mean, the way she reacted, she was really overreacting if she was just upset about what he said on the broadcast or whatever. Um, So I I think there is a personal history between those two that we don't know about. And that's probably why she was reacting that way. Um, I do, though, I I will say I do sympathize with her a little bit because I feel like what Picard was asking was not official Starfleet business. And he was asking Mm. for a Starfleet ship for a personal mission. And I felt that he was probably a little bit out of line doing that, so I can understand um, her saying no to him, um, and that because of that. Um, but yeah, I do think she overreacted for sure um, mm. with the way that they were going back and forth.
2: I do want to find out. So I have a clip that's from this scene that in the show, and watching the show, like I felt. Like my jaw hit the table um, at the end of this particular clip that um, Sarah's going to play. So I wanted to see if Sarah could play the clip and then we get your inter- your reaction off of this clip on the other side.
0: The Romulans were our enemies and we tried to help them for as long as we could. But even before the synthetics attacked Mars, 14 species within the Federation said, cut the Romulans loose or we'll pull out. It was a choice between allowing the Federation to implode or
2: letting the romulans go. The Federation does not get to decide if a species lives or dies. Yes, we do. We absolutely do. So that moment in the episode, I was so shocked that here the head of Starfleet and Starfleet themselves and the Federation has the presumption to desi- to decide we're going to let this species die. Hmm. That seems so anti anything that I've ever seen in Star Trek before. Well, this is—I know it's very uh, parallel to today. I, I yeah, know that's I know the what they're trying to, to do. Today. That's what they're trying. I to totally do. get that, um, and I totally understand that to, to parallel to today. But we're talking the twenty-fifth century. <laughs> I know the-
1: that's, that's the, what the argument is right now yeah. about this that we, we, I talked about previously is this is Michael Chabon's vision of the, in uh, Alex Kurtzman's vision of what Starfleet is now. And I think they did it just to make a political point, which is kind of great to let me a bit that, that they kind of turned, uh, I, I don't disagree with you, Megan, um, that they kind of turned everything on its head to make a political point. And I don't appreciate that necessarily. Uh, regardless of whether or not I agree with that political point, it's just, I don't like it when people do that on (laughs) TV shows on entertainment, you know, like I understand if you want to make a point within an episode, which is what star uh, Star Trek has always done, but to completely upend the entire premise of the franchise is, I think for some people, a little, a bridge too far. So, and it, it, brings us to this point
0: yeah i found it a little unusual in the um in the way she phrased it and things like that getting to decide you know what species die and that sort of thing um you know it it makes me think back to things with the the prime directive where they've said you know oh we can't interfere because you know this is a pre-warp civilization but you're talking about the Romulans. You know, it's they are not a primitive species. So, um, it's one thing for Starfleet to say, okay, yeah, we we can't interfere in the development of that species because they're still within their, you know, just the ecosystem of their planet. Um but the right. Romulan Empire is is very far reaching and um, you know, has had many, many dealings with other species and things like that. So Um, that doesn't apply and looking back at um, you know the the history of star trek very few if any times where starfleet has just refused to help somebody who asks for help and you know for the the romulans to be asking for help from the federation you know the situation is pretty dire you know, there are probably a lot of other places they would go if this was not such a serious thing, or they would try and rely on themselves, right? But um, you know, to then approach the Federation, right? Well, it, it made me also think of um, Star Trek Six, mm. that
2: movie, to where the um, the the moon the Klingon moon Praxis, which is their primary energy source Mm -hmm. explodes. Um, And you have the Klingon empire who is at that time, the enemy of the Federation um, and the enemy of Starfleet Mm -hmm. reaching out, needing help. And we go and help them. Now, does everyone like that? No but it ends up being a good thing long-term. Um, and then you have in this to where the star of the Romulan system is going to go Nova or supernova. Mm. And they have reached out to the Federation for help and the Federation world who there's also the enemy, which they've been an ally before, but they're also the quote unquote em- enemy to have them be the ones that these fourteen planets inside the Federation goes oh heck no mm. <laughs> you help them we're out um, like it's just, which at that just point why wouldn't you just me. let
1: them go <laughs> let those fourteen planets go <laughs> I mean unless they're um, like Vulcan or something like that I, yeah I just don't see how um, fourteen
2: planets would cause the Federation to implode
1: yeah it, that's not gonna yeah i i agree with you it doesn't make a lot of sense i mean um, at the
2: very least you could find a new planet for the romulans to be on yeah i mean it
1: i'm still trying to grapple with why the romulans necessarily needed that much help from the federation because i thought it was just romulus that exploded right i mean nothing else was
0: well they Destroyed. They do talk about it being a supernova that's threatening, um, you know, multiple systems and things like that. So it's probably a lot of Romulan colonies and, and things like that spread out from Romulus. A lot of their, their satellites and their stations and all that sort of thing that would need to be evacuated. And, um, you know, it, it would definitely cripple their population. But it it makes me think, too, with, you know, with as many worlds as they have expanded out to it wouldn't necessarily completely destroy the Romulan uh you know culture and and all of that sort of thing you know yes it would be a large percentage of their population and it would also be you know a lot of their cultural center and all of that sort of thing um but you would think there'd be a lot of Romulan's outside of romulus because their empire is so vast that uh, you know it, it's not like it's threatening the entire romulan population um certainly not saying that this isn't a situation that starfleet would normally respond to because they would um and i i think that's a was a very apt um comparison to the um the issue with praxis and the klingon empire and and everything um it also makes me think about you know in the um the first of the the kelvin movies you know with vulcan being destroyed and uh, yeah they're mm-hmm. you know they say okay and well now vulcans have become an endangered species you know but they're not completely destroyed they just need a new home and that sort of thing
1: What is with uh, Star Trek blowing up planets
2: in the last decade? It's been longer than that. It was in generations to get the Nexus to go where that guy wanted it to go. Wait, there's a planet that exploded?
1: I don't remember that.
2: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's a whole solar system.
1: (laughs) Okay, well, that was like a random planet, right?
2: It wasn't... Was there a lot of people that lived on that planet? Well, it, it, not on that planet, but on the one next to it, there were. That one we may need to watch it. that movie. <laughs>
1: no, that's, I I just don't remember <laughs> stuff that I watched. <laughs> I just uh, I just don't like the JJ. I don't like him blowing up the Vulcans. Yeah. The ones. I like those. I like that stuff in Star Trek, and I don't like it mm. being destroyed. And Mars too now. Like, <laughs> yeah. Come on, can we stop blowing up planets, please? <laughs> well, Mars
0: is just burning; it's not blown up because <laughs> that's so much better.
1: What? Didn't they show it blowing up? Him?
0: No, it was just the like, I mean, the, the facilities on the shit. surface. Yeah.
1: Well, didn't it blow up in Picard's
0: dream or whatever? Yeah. Or
2: are we saying that that's not real? Yeah, no,
0: that was just his dream.
2: I did find it interesting, though, that it seems like it's this is shown later in the episode, but it. Um, seems like as soon as Picard has walked out of Admiral Clancy's office that she turns around and contacts the head of Starfleet um, security hmm. to go, you'll never guess who was just here. <laughs> and it was about this. To have that, the um, Commodore uh, O's reaction to that, that her reaction is to call in her head undercover agent. So you you see Commodore O fairly positive she's a Vulcan, but I'm not quite convinced that I think she may be a Romulan. Uh but you see her bring in her top agent who you learn in their dialogue that she was the one in charge of the Romulan group to capture Dodge hmm. and how she's in trouble because she failed to get Dodge and now they only have Soji left to capture or to bring in or not? You don't quite know, mm. um, but you feel like there's this underlying threat of maybe this is part of the Jad they and they're, this could be them that's doing all of this. Um, it was just an interesting layer to add in that you see by the end of the episode, the same lieutenant that she's called in is actually a Romulan. Because mm. she's in the end of the episode, she's talking to her brother who she sent to be on the the artifact the board cube that's in romulan space that soji is working on
1: i have to be honest guys this whole like romulan subterfuge plot i don't I have no idea what's going on on the board cube but <laughs> i'm just like i don't care i just don't mm. care i don't know that whole storyline is just so boring to me like i don't just don't care what's going on you know they're dragging it out like N- narek i don't even know what he's doing they're just hanging out on this Borg cube and they keep talking about all this uh, whispering all this secret, secretive stuff to each other and it's just this the whole thing is like disappointing to me because I was thinking the Borg they're bringing that back well it's going to have this really awesome storyline and nothing's happening mm.
2: more for me that it was more interesting to see them like where the Romulans um, have possession of this cube that anyone in the f- space basically I was going to say the Federation but like anybody can get approved um, almost by the Romulan controllers of this to come work on this station to help them harvest and study the Borg technology that's on there to harvesting and um, de-assimilating the drones that are on there. But then you have those people that you see um, a little bit in the next episode Um, You see them in this episode too very briefly But they're more like It's still almost like they're the worker bees Of this Drone ship Um, That they're no longer Borg drones But they're the workers of The Romulan People on there So they don't seem to be Like treated as well As the fully Human for lack of a better term People that are working on the ship
1: Yeah I guess I don't know I just, see, this is the thing. The serialized stuff. It's just this is where it gets annoying to me because they're not giving me enough information about what's going on, and I just just don't just don't care at this point. So maybe it'll get better as they start revealing more about what the heck's going on, why the Romulans have this war cube. I will say this: well, it's in their space? It's in yeah, Romulan I space. See, I don't know. Like I just I'm not paying attention. I will say this about this though, I, something I think is really, really cool, is that they are showing us more of the board cube. Hmm. I love the scenes where they're kind of sweeping through the board cube and we're seeing different parts of it that we never got to see on the other series before. And so I really like that more detailed look at the board cube and what it's like on the inside and some additional technologies and, and uh, all of that stuff. So I appreciate that just it's just the storyline i just completely tuned out of that so
0: yeah i found some of the the details in those scenes were kind of interesting um like some of the terminology they were using for the the borg you know that they call them xbs which i'm assuming you know is standing for Borg. and then you know they they call certain ones nameless because they you know they don't know what species they were originally and um but that brings up a question to me is they don't know the name of the species but so g speaks their language oh i noticed that too yeah and so it, it just seemed strange to me like how do you not know the name of the species but you and nobody reacted to her oddly when she spoke and in it's in, in that um individual's language so it wasn't like whoa how did you do that you know it was just like okay whatever you're weird you know it's it's a little weird that it's it's kind of all veiled in this oh well it you know this group has this project over here and this group is doing that project and um you know we get the introduction of this uh this trill doctor who comes on and and so she's asking soji about you know, oh, are you working on this project? Uh, you know, don't you get nervous around them and all this kind of stuff? And it's weird to me that all—even the people that are working on this cube—are basically doing secret stuff, and it's secret from each other as well.
2: Yeah, but that's very Romulan, at least in what you've seen outside of this series portrayed in in Romulan or the Romulan Empire. Um, that they do seem to be a very secretive society, maybe a little bit more paranoid than what you've seen um, in watching Deep Space Nine and the Cardassian Empire about how they were almost that paranoid too, making sure that their secrets are secret. But I will say it was funny to see when um, you in that scene where everyone's waiting to go into the cube and they're getting their instructions which seems like it scare the newbies day on <laughs> the instructions from the the Romulan um in charge there that he's very flippant and trying to be funny about where they could be going and the danger that you're going to be in and um the sign at his feet is has how many you know how many days it's been without someone being assimilated mm. in the cube and so it was just an interesting interesting moment in
0: the episode yeah i had made a note does he give this speech every day oh my gosh wouldn't that be annoying (laughs) (laughs) yeah for sure like gosh just
1: let us go in i will say that um i had two favorite scenes in this episode one was the doctor that when he came and talked to picard Mm. about his uh, Mm -hmm. medical scans and stuff Mm -hmm. um i really enjoyed that scene i thought that that doctor looked extremely familiar to me and i felt like i'd seen him on star trek before but he's he's not been on star trek before mm-hmm. did he look familiar to you guys at all mm-hmm.
2: yeah. he's a, a character actor in hollywood um, yeah
1: i didn't recognize um anything he'd been in though i don't think i've seen it maybe he's just similar to somebody i've seen but that scene to me was, um, I I thought it was really cool that they brought him back from the Stargazer. Mm. I mean, they went way back in Picard's past <laughs> for that. And also just seeing Picard's reaction to the news and stuff and how he took it. There it, it, it was a very interesting character insight for how he deals with that type of adversity and his own mortality as well.
2: Mm. That too was a really good tie-in to All Good Things. Yeah. Um to where that was. He was, you know, by Q shown that this is a possibility in your future that you're gonna have this brain um This the aromatic syndrome. Yeah that whatever. one thank you. uh uh-huh. Yeah. I was totally blanked on it. Um yeah. which is interesting that what he has in this episode is not named. Yeah,
1: so we don't know if that's it or not. Definitely it makes you wonder. It also makes you wonder where Beverly Crusher is. <laughs> I had place. that same thought too. <laughs> Like, why is she not the one coming to talk to him versus this guy? Did they really get
2: married and divorced, like, in all good things, and they just don't talk to each other anymore?
1: Yeah, I know. I think it's pretty obvious they didn't get married.
2: Oh, I agree. But, yeah. I will say, in talking about another character, that I'm looking forward to seeing this character's history and how she knows Jean-Luc Picard is, is Rafi, who's introduced at the tail end of this episode, of what their history is and why... Um, she is so angry at him. So yeah, I'm looking I'm looking forward to that as the series unfolds to see what their their history is.
1: Uh yeah, I that was my second favorite. Well actually that was my favorite singing of this whole thing, was the very last one where um he comes to her or whatever. Uh because it's funny. <laughs> and I actually laughed out loud at um at some of the interaction between them. Uh, I think it's going to be one of my favorite relationships as well. Now, I do know that she's like a drug addict because I have seen mm. uh, bits of the next episode. So I know that she's like, there's some parts of her character I don't like, but I do like the um the interaction and the relationship between, because here she was a inferior officer to Picard, able to have this rapport with him. Mm. And I've never seen Picard act like that before. Yeah ever and so that was really interesting that she was able to bring that out of him and obviously she has this very overpowering personality and she obviously wore picard down at some point you know and so now he's he's like this with her and it's very casual just like the way he turned and turned his back and like lifted up the um you know chateau picard not chateau picard is it is that what he calls (laughs) the label yeah. yeah yeah the way he just did that' his, like his body language and stuff it's like you know that they have they can just read these visual cues off of each other mm. which you know hints at a very um, comfortable relationship regardless of why she's mad at him or whatever. So you see there we go again see I'm more interested in the interaction between the two versus why she's mad at him <laughs> <laughs> And Megan, you're more interested in like the story of why she's mad at him. See, see, there, there's an example of how we get different things out of the, out of the scene, but, um, but yeah, I am, I'm, I'm looking forward to more of, of their interaction, for sure.
0: Yeah, I do like the way the characters are interacting with each other. Uh, at least you know our, um, our good guy characters. Uh, you know everybody who's interacting with Picard. Um, definitely has a feeling of being a fleshed out character with a backstory with you know a reason for being the way they are and um you know a good set personality they they don't feel like characters that were thrown together so uh, i i do appreciate that about the the style of the characters
2: yeah i agree
1: yeah, this show is definitely going to be a little bit more um, detailed in the character backstories. And they're going to show more flawed characters, which I don't necessarily uh, disagree with that. I I kind of think that that's more interesting to watch. Um, now, I really enjoyed, you know, the previous Star Trek series where they didn't necessarily go as in-depth into character study. They would um, show bits and pieces of the characters and reveal parts of them, and they would have emotional moments sometimes. But I feel like this show is definitely going a lot more in-depth and and showing a lot more vulnerability Mm. with the characters, which I can appreciate. And I really like that. Um, I'm really interested, of course... I'm just waiting for the Riker Troy episode. That's that's <laughs> the main thing that I'm waiting for with this series um, is that episode. And so I'm going to be... I'm a little nervous about what they're going to be doing. <laughs> I already know a little bit about what they're doing. But I'm really um, interested to see how they play those... How they write those characters now mm. and how they play them. Because it's going to be very different from the series. And I'm hoping that we get... Dang, I'm Siri, Siri, I did not... Stop. I forgot the term to turn the cereal. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to seeing how, they, how the characters are a little different and hoping that we get a little bit more uh, character development and nuance out of them mm. than we would have back on TNG. I do like that about this series. I like that they're delving into stuff a little bit more detailed. And I think that that is the more realistic way to go for sure. Yeah. I can say that as a positive. All right. Well, um, I guess that wraps it up. I think we were kind of, I'm at kind of at the end of my notes and I think you guys are as well. Yeah. So we want to know from you guys is for uh, maps and legends, episode two of Picard, what is your favorite uh, line or scene or moment? Do you have one from this episode and what, what is it for you
0: guys? So we have all the uh, different social media platforms that you can reach us on. Uh, we have the Tribbles and Transporters page on Facebook um, on Instagram, we are the Tribbles and Transporters podcast. And then on Twitter, uh, we are at Tribbles podcast. So if you want to reach out to us on one of those, um, platforms, you can, uh, we do also have a email address, which is Tribbles and Transporters at gmail.com.
1: As always, the links are in the show description, so they're easy to get to that way. For our next episode, we're going to be... Uh, going back in time to the early 2000s with Enterprise. And we will be watching episode two or three of Enterprise. What is it called again? Fight or Flight. Fight or Flight. Erin and I have not seen this before. Megan, you said you've seen it probably when
2: it first came out. Mm -hmm. I don't remember anything about it, but (laughs) I've seen it.
1: Uh, I remember really enjoying Broken Bow, though. So I'm looking forward to um, seeing this next episode of Enterprise and getting into that whole part of the Star Trek universe.
2: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it'll be fun to go back and see a show I haven't seen in a long time.
1: All right, guys. Well, that'll do it for us. Uh, Thanks for tuning in and listening. We'll look forward to next time with you guys. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.